UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. And welcome back. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. Ask scientists and they'll tell you many of our farming and tilling practices aren't sustainable. One example, topsoil loss. In the Midwest, it erodes by around 2 millimeters a year. Doesn't sound like much, but it adds up. Looking bigger, one estimate calculates that the earth could run out of usable topsoil within 60 years. A new collaborative project at Powell Gardens is working to demonstrate what sustainable farming practices inspired by uninterrupted nature can look like, and they want to teach it to others as well. Joining us on to talk about the Midwest Center for Regenerative Agriculture is Cody Jowliff. He's the CEO of Powell Gardens. Cody, good to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Also with us is Dan Kroll. He's the co-owner of Good Oak. That's a partner of Powell Gardens for this project. Dan, good to have you too. Good to see you, Steve. So you started this new project, the Midwest Center for Regenerative Agriculture, that's aiming to be an educational hub for the community. But I want to start by going a bit broader and talking about regenerative ag in a larger sense. It's something that some listeners might not have heard of or don't know a whole lot about. Cody, explain the basics for those of us who are new to this concept. Yeah, you know, it's really a lot of ways getting back to the old ways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting back to how we used to farm and practice uh, agriculture methods. Dan, what kinds of methods are we talking about to make this kind of thing happen? Well, what our approach is, is by um, we look at nature and we try and mimic nature's example because it has the largest, um, you know, data set. You know, nature's been doing it for a lot longer than we have. So, yeah. uh, so for example, when we look at an animal like um, a sheep, you know, we work with sheep a lot. Uh, a lot of people spend a lot of money and time trying to keep them alive by giving them wormers and treatments and vaccines and all kinds of things, feeding them grain. But sheep lived on the planet for 7 million years before humans were ever here, and they didn't need any of that stuff. So how can we <laughs> keep sheep help, happy and healthy um, without all these interventions and all this stuff that we put in there that costs us money and time? So what we do is we look to nature's example. What would a sheep be doing if we weren't messing with them, right? And, and what's we start the answer there. to that? Well, I mean, the answer to that is, uh, for example, with the wormer, you know, um, sheep don't die from worms in the wild because they're constantly moving, right? They don't stay in one place for very long because they're eating all of the resources and they're being chased by predators, right? So what we do on the farm is we keep them moving to fresh paddocks all the time. We give them a rest period in between the time they come back to a place they've already been. And after 60 days or so, all of those worms aren't a problem anymore, right? Huh. So we just do that one simple thing, and then we don't have to spend all that money and time catching them and giving them treatments and these sorts of things, and then they're, they're very healthy. So. Interesting. So, Cody, when you say this is a return to the old days, the old days like how long ago? <laughs> uh, you know, 150 years ago or something, yeah. a lot of these practices were in place, and, um, you know, we've gotten away from them. Why did we get away from it? Money. What do you mean money? <laughs> uh, farmers, you know, it's uh, uh, always looking to to make the most uh, yield from crops and things like that throughout history. So um, that's... Uh, so we do drugs and different pills and stuff <laughs> and you can get more, more a fatter lamb? Yep, yep, pretty much. Is that what the deal is? Yeah. Dan, all of this is something that's really important to the work that you do with a good oak. And how does regenerative ag play into the work that you do there? 
Well, our main focus is the soil that you mentioned, okay? So our goal is to convert as much of the tilled ground into perennial agriculture to save the soil as possible. And when you said we may have 60 years left, that may have slipped by some listeners, but let me just restate it again. It's an amazing the number. The only place where we get food is from the soil, you know, from farming. And our species has done this over and over again, you know, in the Middle East, in the Sahara Desert, in North America, we've slowly desertified the entire planet everywhere we've gone. We will eventually erode all of that soil away and we won't have any way to grow. So right. our goal as a company is to stop that in our way, in our area, and to set the example for other people. And for us, the opportunity to work with Powell, who had the goal of having a regenerative demonstration farm at their at their farm was perfect for us because we can come in and do what we want to do and use this amazing facility. You know, it's a world-class botanical garden as a way of drawing people's attention. I mean, and being here today talking to you is a perfect example of that. Yeah. You know, we're getting to spread that message because of our partnership with Powell Gardens. I, I think a lot of people think that you know, there's there's dirt that goes on forever. It's it's like 190 miles deep down there, and you're saying no, that's not the a, case. It's just like oil. Okay, the natural really? process. That's an interesting analogy. Absolutely, it's the it's the same idea. Um, oil was made through natural processes, right? Um, yeah. It was its biological remains left behind. Soil is made through natural processes. It's built slowly over thousands of years. And when Cody said we're going back 150 years, really we're going back thousands of years. You know, uh, indigenous people all over the world have used these sorts of practices to interact with the planet. But it is a it is a renewable resource, unlike oil. Oil takes a very long time to rebuild, but the soil we can do it in short order. And all we have to do is just stop destroying it. And the main thing that destroys it is the tillage. And then some of the sprays and chemicals that we use also do it. So so basically, when Europeans arrived here in North America, there was 20, 30 inches of black topsoil, and we've been mining it, just like a coal mine for the last 350 years. And we're almost out. Okay. So that's where we're at. This is serious. It's not a, you know, this isn't a joke. I'm not some crazy prepper. We're just going to run out of soil, right? <laughs> so, so is this notion of regenerative ag, is it catching on with farmers across the country? Is is it starting to make sense? Are farmers starting to recognize the issue here? I think it is. And I think that's part of the reason why we at, at the Powell Gardens Project and are, are looking to educate future farmers. I used to say young farmers, but now I realize there's a lot of people of a lot of different ages that want to learn this and take it back to their operations. So with our farm school, we'll be able to teach people the practices so they can bring them back to their own operations and find ways to build soil, be more profitable, and treat animals in a way that's that's more you know uh, caring of their needs. Cody, what else is involved with regenerative ag? What other techniques are used to help preserve uh, the soil and, and move forward here? Yeah, so uh, we'll be removing a lot of invasive species um, out there, and the, the animals will help with that as well. So, um, you know, the sheep like to eat things that are not great for uh, for soil health and, and get rid of those. So, you know, Pal is is known for the botanical garden about 165 acres, but we have almost a thousand acre property. So this really puts into play a, a whole new piece. And and that's the land you're using for this regenerative ag work that yep, you're doing right now. Yep. Is it immediately adjoining to the gardens? It is, yeah. Mm -hmm. And people can see it when they get out there kind of thing? Yeah, they will be. So yeah. it's all coming together right now. It sounds like it's not a very e efficient technique. So it sounds like it would be hard to get it to really gain traction in the way that it probably should. Am I right about that? 
I, I can respond yeah, to that. Yeah, sure. I, efficient is one of those interesting words. I think you heard Cody mention before, uh, maximizing yield is one of the things that got us into mm-hmm. the problem, okay? So when we maximize yield, we focus on one thing and other things fall to the side. Right, sure. Nature is not efficient. And that sounds strange to say, but nature is profitable. So what we're trying to do is think profitably. So an example would be an oak tree. It produces thousands and thousands of acorns, but maybe only a few of them will actually grow into trees. The reason why it does that is not so it can be efficient and maximize yield. It's so it can take into consideration the complex math equation that is squirrels and blue jays and humans and deer and all those things in order to make the next generation, right? Yeah. So so what we're trying to do is not not be efficient necessarily, but be profitable. And frankly, our current modern farm system is not profitable. It's being propped up by by subsidies and these sorts of things. Farmers are in a real bad way right now. They're spending hundreds, you know, $450 an acre to plant a crop and making $350 an acre and then living off of subsidies and, and um, you know, borrowing money from the bank. Farmers are in the top tier, um, most common um, professions where people commit suicide, which, you know, you would think it would be the opposite. Farmers are spending all their time outside yeah. in nature. Um, it, we're in a real bad way. So it, one of the things that people bring up often when we talk about this is, how are you going to get people to to convert to this if it's not efficient or if it's not maximizing? Well, that's what yield? I was going to just we, ask. I we mean, don't really have a choice at some point, right? When we run out of soil, we we have to switch. Um, I I think there is a common sense part to it. Like when I told you about the sheep before, you kind of went, "Oh, I get it. Like that yeah. makes perfect sense." Right. If I just keep them moving, right? Um, I think when we tell this story, there's a certain number of people who just go, "Well, I'm never going to do it that way. You could do that on my farm once I'm dead or whatever." But many people hear it and they actually are like, "That actually makes a lot of sense. I'd like to try that." And the more people they see doing it and demonstrating it, the more they're going to get sold. Which is again why the Powell Project is a perfect example. But then wait a minute, that we talk in here all the time about the Ogallala Aquifer. And as you know, as well as I do, there is some subset of ranchers out in Kansas and Western Kansas who are saying, yeah, we, we have two choices. We can conserve or we can just use it up till it's gone. And there are any number of ranchers out there who are saying, we're going to use it up till it's gone. Sure. What's going to stop uh, farmers from just using up the soil until it's gone? Yeah, well, no, I mean, nothing. I, How I really, worried I, are you about that? Uh, well, I, you know, and so I would give them a third option, Steve. You know, yeah. one thing, that the message that we've gotten about the, the aquifers often is that they are a non-renewable resource that it takes tens of thousands of years to refill fill them. Yeah. If we manage our land and our water differently on farms, you actually can recharge the the water table on a local farm and eventually recharge those yeah. those aquifers over time. You just have to learn how to manage the land differently. I could go into the minutia of water management on a farm, uh, but there are ways to slow down the water, soak it in right there on the property, uh, as opposed to just letting it wash out and take the soil with it. They yeah. can actually help that. And these are some of the skills that we'll be teaching at the the teaching farm at Powell Gardens, uh, actually how to manage water, how to manage the land in a way that that maximizes what we call effective rainfall and keeps the, the water on the property. We'll be right back. Well, Cody, let's go uh, talk a little bit more about this Midwest Center for Regenerative Agriculture itself. Give us an overview of what you're doing here and what the goal of a project like this is. 
Yeah, you know, this is uh, some of these things are going on across the country, but this is a way to bring it to the people to see, uh, to the farmers to be able to learn, and also to the general public to be able to be uh, to become aware of what's happening. How can the general public interact with what you're doing out there? Yeah, so as as time goes on and, and things become more developed with this project, um, we'll have classes so the public can join in. Um, there'll be uh, beekeeping classes. There'll be all oh, really? sorts of uh, different things to learn uh, from just a general public view. How did starting a project like this come about in the first place? Yeah, so it's all part of Powell Garden's uh, master plan put together back in 2020, 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've been working on this for years um, to get at this point of announcement. You're you're focusing on a few key initiatives, one of them being agroforestry. What is that? <laughs> yeah, Cody's pointing at me. Yeah. So, so there's many different ways that you can execute um, soil saving um, methods on your farm. Our particular approach is through agroforestry, and the and the ecosystem that we're mimicking is called the oak savanna. So, in this region uh, where we are, about 50 million acres that would have stretched from the Great Lakes to Texas was oak savanna when Europeans arrived, and thousands of people for thousands of years had lived off of that ecosystem. And what is a, an oak savanna? Yeah, so basically what you have is very large trees like chestnuts and oaks spaced widely apart with sunlight coming in and prairie underneath. And it's Mm -hmm. being maintained by the grazing of, in some cases, you know, mastodonts and mammoths and then, you know, bison herds and these sorts of things. And it was one of the most, if not the most productive ecosystem the planet has ever had from a mammal standpoint. And it's because of the balance between shade and sun. Now, we've chosen that ecosystem as the one that we mimic and agroforestry fits perfectly into that. So agroforestry practices such as silvopasture or forest farming, these sorts of things, they mimic the oak savanna. And we also are choosing trees that are native to our area that produce food for humans such as the persimmon, plum, chestnut, uh, walnut, you know, things like this that, that are already adapted to our climate. So we don't have to get, prop them up with a bunch of different treatments. Uh, actually, if you walk around Powell Gardens, it's interesting. Years and years ago, many fruit trees were planted there. And the, the trees that are not native to the farm have, have died off, but there's still persimmons and pawpaws and, you know, pecans. All the things that are native to our area are thriving because they don't need any help. They, they evolve for this exact habitat, right? Yeah. Is climate change affecting your vision for what this needs to be? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we we don't exactly know how it's going to affect our exact region or our particular method of farming. But I know this: our method of farming is more resilient to changes in general. And one of the reasons why is because we're using plants that are adapted to our area. We're holding water on our property. We're building soil instead of destroying it. If you can imagine the climate getting hotter and drier and you have no soil, where are you going to grow? I mean, you right. literally will turn this area into a, a desert if you if you go that route. So. Cody, how, how is natural beekeeping uh, affecting playing into all this? Yeah, it'll be <laughs> it'll be a big part of, uh, of what's going on. And, uh, you know, the fun part about it is uh, some of these things produced on the farm, people will be able to enjoy. So you'll be able to come out and, uh, you know, eat things uh, uh, there at Powell produced with this honey. Yeah. And that'll be a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll just say for all of you who are grumbling at home about how honeybees aren't native to North America, we know and uh, bees that's not the bees that need saving. Um, but but we work with the, the European honeybee that has been um, 
you know, naturalized in North America for about 500 years. And we use methods, again, that take into consideration that same sheep example I gave before. How did bees live for 100 million years without people? And uh, we'll, we'll be able to teach people our natural beekeeping methods that help strengthen honeybees and, and make them more resilient to our problems. And Cody, you're actually planning to start a school to help train farmers in this type of farming. What kinds of training is that going to include? Yeah, so they'll be able to come and learn all of these different practices at PAL and eventually uh, maybe even have a, a bunkhouse they can come and stay at. So, Oh, is that right? Yeah, so we're hoping to get you know farmers from across the region to come and uh, experience what's happening. How unusual is it to have a training center for farmers? Are there, are there other sites across the country that also offer this kind of training? Most of the the farmer training opportunities are apprenticeships on existing farms. There's very few that I would say will be that will match the farm school at uh, at Powell Garden. So um, what we envision is a long term apprenticeship where people live on the property and work the farm for an entire season, so that they can get experience in all those different. Uh, areas and and get hands-on experience but you know if you want to apprentice in this sense you don't this isn't the only place you can go the best thing to do is to find a regenerative farm and see if they have apprenticeships open and go work for them and live with them where are you in the process of setting up the school cody Where, where, where does that stand yeah, it'll be a little while. So we're just we're just uh, just getting started with the whole project. So a little while, meaning how much longer? We're we're hoping to have students on the ground in 2025, yeah. but we're currently in the fundraising stage, which is a you know if I could take my last second here to to throw a plug. If you <laughs> sure. go go over to Powell Garden's website, there's a place there where you can make a donation. If this sounds like something you'd like to have in the Kansas City region, we could really use the help to build it. Uh, we're currently building infrastructure. We'll have animals on the ground in April. We'll be building fence this month and next month. So. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, it's coming together. (laughs) That's really cool. Well, that's the voice of Dan Krull. He's a co-owner of Good Oak. That's a partner uh, with Powell Gardens in this regenerative agriculture project. Cody Jowliff also joined us. He's CEO of Powell Gardens. Thank you both for your conversation and good luck with the project. It sounds exciting. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Steve. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancard, and Hallie Jackson. Our intern is Lauren Texter. Paul Nakatura works our board. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.